Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Noel Kassler podcast, episode 46. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're all staying warm out there. It's been pretty cold this week in these United States, at least the northern states. It's nice and warm, I guess, in uh, the south. You know, if you're not dying of COVID in a hospital that's overcrowded <laughs> somewhere, you're, you're probably loving life, sitting in Arizona, having a Trump rally. They had a nice Trump rally last night. He's got to spew a lot of racist crap and gin up the white supremacist on Martin Luther King weekend, right? In the state that, by the way, lost their right to host the Super Bowl in 1993, Jimmy, you're too young for this, but they refused to honor Martin Luther King's birthday because they're just so racist. You know, Arizona was sort of founded by racists. A lot of people don't want to admit that, but it was always like when I was a kid in the 70s and you'd go to Tucson or something, they'd sell bullets in the 7-Eleven. Like it was always <laughs> wild west, you know, and not the most, you know, minority friendly place. Let's just put it that way. But um, they were so like irate about Dr. King being a federal holiday, having a federal holiday, because the official holiday is called the Martin Luther King Civil Rights holiday day or something like you know what i mean and they just opposed it so they lost the right to host the super bowl in 93 and lost like 120 million in revenue (laughs) yeah (laughs) and then they obviously rescinded it but if you ever hear the stevie wonder song it's your birthday you ever hear Mm -hmm. that song yeah yeah that's about martin luther king that's he wrote that song as a protest song in reference to Arizona, who refused okay. to do the holiday. So it's, it's fitting that like, you know, the state that had the senator who killed the voting rights legislation <laughs> this week, Kristen Cinema, you know, who spells her name like an Aryan, by the way. Why is there a Y in there? <laughs> Kirsten, right? With a Y. Like, let's just make it as Aryan as possible, right? <laughs> like, she fooled everybody. But anyway, so she kills the voting rights John Lewis act and then posts a selfie with her and John Lewis. Trump has a rally in Arizona, you know, all on, on Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday weekend, you know, a man who, who we lost much too young, you know, who is one of the great leaders to ever emerge in this country. You know, when I was in eighth grade, we had to do a paper. There was in seventh grade and it, write about your heroes. And the two I picked were John Lennon and, and Martin Luther King because I grew up in the shadow of that, you know, but his legacy lives on. And the fact that I'm now 50 years old and there's still people sort of fighting against equality and not just fighting against equality, but spurring on hate shows you, you know, where we've gone as a nation and it's not in a good direction. And it's sort of all coming home to roost right now. You know, you had the proud boys guy get arrested this week. You know, the one-eyed Jack there down in Texas, you know, dude, I thought it was Dan Crenshaw's dad when I saw him <laughs> on the thing, you know, I'm like, yeah. is that Papa Crenshaw? Is it running the family? <laughs> yeah, it's it's Blackbeard or something, man. All these guys are like cartoon pirates or something that are just emerging. Uh, yeah, you know, does that give you any kind of faith that the DOJ is going to come down and get bigger fish by arresting a guy like that? You know, no, I mean, no, yeah, no, no. no. I mean, it's all <laughs> lip service. They're going to go after some people that it's safe to go after. Ali Alexander showed up at the Trump rally last night. That guy was one of the main organizers and he's walking free a year later, not just walking free, but walking into a rally. And he went in the VIP entrance. They let him in like the expedited entrance for the friends and family, you know, the super racists. (laughs) So, you know, no, I don't have that much faith. I think they'll work their way up 
militia organizations like that, but I don't know how deep they'll go into addressing the root problem. And it's interesting you bring that up, Jimmy, because when the FBI set up that white supremacies sort of task force, the DOJ is now setting up another task force to go after white supremacists. That mm-hmm. is a good thing. I'm not, I'm not knocking it. Like I'll take it, you know, but let's, let's have a big national conversation about how dangerous this really is. And here's an example. When the FBI started listing these white supremacist groups as terrorists and putting them on a watch list, you know, the DOJ and the FBI made up a watch list and then they didn't distribute it to police departments because <laughs> there were so many members in law enforcement of these white supremacist groups that they're like, they'll tip off their friends. So don't like send this out to, you know, the Oregon Portland PD, because they're going to say, hey, Vinny, they're on to you. You're on this list. I just got (laughs) from DC. You better go hide, (laughs) you know? So they literally had to keep it on the DL. And that just shows you how systematic racism is not just at the you know the legal economic levels that we talk about all the time but in law enforcement i know a ton of guys you know who were cops and secret service and whatever and you know if you're honest like a lot of these guys are very racist you know anybody who's surprised by that has not spent a lot of time around these folks you know <laughs> and i know it's hard for that for people to hear that. And some of them are great dudes, you know, but some of them are very, very racist, you know, and especially now when that whole thing has become militarized, something happened after 9-11 where everybody became the enemy. You know, speaking of Arizona, there was a case years ago where they shot this guy in a hotel, like a cop, you know, and the dude was like wasted. He was like tripping on ecstasy or something, you know, and Mm-hmm. He, he'd like been dis- he made a disturbance at a hotel like he was trashing his hotel room or something so they called the cops on him and the cops showed up was sort of down the hall from the guy and was like drop to your knees you know touch your nose with your left hand like was just shouting these crazy instructions at this dude who was obviously in a mess- messed up mental state right and made it so impossible to follow all this stuff and then just blew him away, shot him and killed him with his assault rifle. But, Mm. and if there's a video of it, you watch it, it's horrifying, but it's indicative of the point I'm trying to make. Like it, it went from protect and serve to like fellow citizens are the enemy. And we shoot first and ask questions later. You know, every situation now when the cops are like confronting people, they act like you don't have a right to do any, you know what I mean? You don't have a right to do anything. And they yell out these crazy instructions that, you know, people are heightened in the moment. You know, when you're when you got somebody pointing a gun at you, you're scared. And this video is a perfect example. And that's in Arizona. And the guy who shot him was one of these jacked up cops. that was all about being in the military. You know, like our friend said, when I did the episode with my friend Nick, who was NYPD for his whole career, he said, like, you get yahoos now. You get these gun nut like rambo wannabe dudes on the police force and that's not what it should be about you know there should be like some intelligence and communication and a desire to serve the community and it should also be people from the community and you know it's not anymore and it's become a systematic like my team your team kind of thing and cops you know and law enforcement backs that up more than anyone else so it's scary. You know, we have to have a real conversation about this. And, and, and half the country's basically like, no, we're not having that conversation. We like Trump. We like the guy in the diaper. We want the drug addict who's been trying to bang his daughter for 30 years. He's the moral man, you know? 
and it's a cult. It, there were I, I watched a few of the clips on Twitter last night. Uh, it was like dudes had Trump jewelry, Trump T-shirts. You know, they're like deadheads. <laughs> this is my 40th show, bro. I hope he breaks out, build the wall into lock her up because that's my favorite segue. There's some subtlety there. You know, I like what he does with his hands. You know, I like how he leans on the podium and you know, jerks forward from his plastic girdle. <laughs> you know, and I look, I, I tweeted again this morning. We're doing this on Sunday, folks. But like, he used the N word openly on The Apprentice. It wasn't a secret. You know, he'd be like, hey, is the N word here yet? Where's the N word? They want me to pick the N word. Like, he, it was like working with Easy E or something. You know <laughs> what I mean? He would just use it in front of white people. And you'd be like, dude. And everyone knew it. The grips knew it. The PAs knew it. You don't think Jeff Zucker knew it, who is head of NBC? That's what a, the guy who runs a network, his job is to know everything that's going on on a production. That's what you do. You watched like the morning show, right? You see how much they, that was very accurate in those kind of things. You know, if you're a producer and more importantly, if you're the head of the network, like you're making sure you know what's going down, especially if you have a loose cannon. Trump had to be flown off of islands after he attacked his contestants in the late 90s, you know, in Trinidad. So it wasn't like it was a surprise to anybody who this guy was, but they let him be who he was because he was making money and nobody wanted to piss off, not Donald Trump, but Mark Burnett, who was a cash cow for the networks. You know, Survivor is still on. It's probably on tonight. You know, that show's been on for 25 years. They print money for CBS. Right. This was an NBC show. He's got, you know, The Voice is a Mark Burnett show that people still watch. So they're not going to hurt one of his properties. And when Jeff Bezos bought MGM this year, everyone's like, Bezos is going to release the tape. Now. <laughs> he hates Trump. It's like, no, he's not. He's not going to damage his property. He bought MGM. They own all these titles. He's not going to blow it up. He's a businessman. He's going to buy another rocket and jerk himself off into space. <laughs> you know? So people, and they still don't know how it works. Like I mentioned this N-word stuff today and people are like, when are they going to release the tapes? They're not. And it doesn't matter. You know, he told you who he was. You saw his presidency. He was the most divisive president in American history. You know, he was worse than like Andrew Jackson or somebody, you know, it's hard to believe, but, you know, he'll, he'll be looked at as one of the true villains in the world history. He'll be right up there with Hitler if we survive him. Did you watch those movies I told you to watch? Uh, I, I didn't want to pay for another subscription service. I've got like eight of them. Oh, but, okay. uh, yeah. I don't, I don't blame you. I, I did have access to uh dunkirk and i'm i'll, I'll pay the 10 bucks to watch 1917 oh, well, that's a lot i don't well you know, 10, 1917 is dope dude that's like the cinematography alone that's sam mendes at mendes and that's just like from a filmmaking standpoint it's it's brilliant and it's a very great message like an anti-war kind of pacifist message in a way i mean it takes place in world war one but I, I, my point is i'm watching these movies i watch 1917 i watch dunkirk I'm paying attention to this stuff because you see these same trends happening now. You know, it's terrifying. You know, when, when fascism is on the march, you need to pay attention. You need to get hip to what's going on because Trump is not less popular. Okay. He's more yeah. popular than he was a year ago. You know, he's been effectively able to turn the big lie into now the campaign theme of all Republicans. You're either in the, with the big lie or you're out of the party. And that's across the board. And they're down with it. 
right? And yeah, sure, Merrick Garland is arresting the Proud Boys, but arrest Trump. You know, it came out this week, he forged documents in seven states. They had a template that was obviously made up from some conservative action committee that Ginny Thomas or one of these wonderful people funds, right? And they sent it out here, just fill this out and send this into the National Archives for when we, you know, take over the country on January 6th, we'll produce this as evidence, you know, to the rest of the world and say Trump was legitimately elected. And nobody would have asked questions once he seized power, right? The rest of the world just would have been like, oh, shit, like they have a, a despot in America now. You know, officially, Canada is preparing for like the end of democracy in the United States and how they're going to deal with it. Mm-hmm. They got to be pretty nervous. <laughs> yeah, well, I saw a tweet from Malcolm Nance. Uh, and at this stage, you know, he's like, he's going to start openly using the N-word at rallies. I mean, what's going to stop him from just having no filter at this point? Because it's like we're hanging over the edge of democracy, looking at fascism, and we're just about to fall over. We're, we're at a tipping point yeah. right now. You know? well, and we're there in a cultural way. We're already living in fascism culturally, right? You right. were already divided. You show up at a gas station and the guy pumping his gas across from you is in his big Ford F-150 with 15 <laughs> flags off it, you know, yelling at you not to wear a mask. What is that other than fascism? You know, it's brutality. It's a cultural brutality of not accepting others. You know, look what's happening to people in the disabled community, you know, with all the like people against mask mandates. The governor of Virginia was just elected on this fascist wave a couple of months ago. And now his first act as governor is he's going to rescind school vaccine mandates and mask mandates. He's going to tell you you have to send your kid to school without a mask on in Virginia. Like, that's insane. I would be like, F you, buddy. You know, I wouldn't live in Virginia, first of all. No offense to Virginians. My grandparents moved to Charlottesville in retirement and had a good few years and then had to leave because it was too racist. You know, they're liberals. My grandmother marched with Dr. King. You know, she worked with like, you know, if you ever hear the the radical priests, you know, those were her (laughs) friends, these Jesuit pacifist priests that were against the Vietnam War. Like, you know, my grandma was like, Ram Dass's secretary when he was at Harvard. You know, she's very hip and all this kind of stuff. She opened a shelter here in New York, a homeless shelter. She went to Haiti and they built schools and stuff. You know, they're sort of very good progressive Catholics, you know, and they tried to keep up with that stuff when they lived in Virginia outside Charlottesville and it just got too crazy. So they had to move back to New York, you know, and this is pre-Trump. So it, it was always there. Trump is just pouring gasoline on this fire. But my point is I couldn't live in one of these states and I'm not judging people that do. And Northern Virginia is awesome. And Southern Virginia is beautiful, but cultural Virginia is now going to be like Florida, <laughs> right? You have these governors tripping over themselves to see who can be more draconian. Ron DeSantis has 63,000 people who have died in Florida. Okay, there's 21 million people in Florida. There's like 21 million people in Australia, and they've had 2,600 <laughs> deaths. Okay, yeah. Think about it's... that. Think about how pathetic that is from a manager standpoint. If I put you in charge of a McDonald's, Jimmy, and then came <laughs> back the next day and said, "How we're do? How you doing?" and you'll be like, "I lost a third of the employees. You know, they died because <laughs> I got to, you know, 
<laughs> like yeah. he'd be like, get out of here. And instead that makes people popular. It makes him feel like he's ready for national office because he's doing such a bad job. And so many people are digging it because they want that cultural war. And that's what we really need to address is the desire for Americans to say F you to their fellow Americans and get violent. And that's what happens to a nation of people that are basically fed cartoons for 20 years, right? <laughs> they go to Marvel comic books, movies, and, and buy guns and sit around thinking they're the punisher. You know, sooner or later, you want to use that idiocy that you've been bred in. Right. right. The comic right. book shit is like if you were 15 going to see that stuff, it's fine. Right. <laughs> but 20 years later, you're 35 and now you're taking your kids to it and it's all you know. I'm not dissing right. it. I'm just saying we're a country without a certain amount of humanities and a, without a certain amount of like empathy, you know, mm -hmm. as I say all the time on this show. And then you're fed poison, you're fed Fox News and these screaming eagle emojis and flags, <laughs> white girls with kitties and all this stuff that you think is what America should be. <laughs> you believe it sooner or later. And then you get the perfect con man who comes around. He's like, hey, look, I'm an idiot, too. You could be like me, want a big boat, you know, and they believe it. Right. You know, and well, Trump is, lives on Fifth Avenue. He was never an elitist because he was dissed by that world, but that's the world he wants to be in. He doesn't want to be hanging at freaking Lake Ozarks with the rednecks <laughs> pounding beers on the back of a bass boat. He wants to be with a Lake Como with George Clooney, but he was dissed out of that world. So now he's basically exacting his revenge upon America. And that's what you need to get hip to, because that's what Hitler did. You know, Hitler was getting revenge on Germany and the Jewish people, you know, and, and, and nobody, I'll let you speak in a second. Nobody has a bigger ax to grind, even though he's got tiny little hands that he's holding it in. You know? <laughs> that's why I always point out his addiction. It's not about the substance. Like I've said, if you can do the job, more power to you. Do all the drugs you need to do. JFK was a drug addict. Okay, the yeah, dude yeah. was shooting himself up every day because of his injuries and stuff. But he was a smart, compassionate guy who wasn't completely given into the isms. Trump is a guy who has the isms, which is what's underneath addiction, Jimmy. I don't know if, how much you know about addiction, but you know they say like the alcohol is but a symptom. Okay, mm -hmm. I drank because of the way I felt when I didn't drink. Okay, and that's the stuff you need to really address and. I've never seen that more pronounced in a human being than Donald Trump. And I've been around some people. I've been around some very famous drug addicts, you know, and I'm one <laughs> myself and I was raised by one and, you know, we're both sober now. But what I'm trying to talk about is when you're stewing in resentment and anger, right. you know, that's a horrific trait to have in a leader. That's what I was trying to warn people about when I spoke out and stuff. It was like, look, you don't want this guy in charge when an emergency happens because he's only going to think about himself. And that's incredibly dangerous. Yeah. Obama wasn't doing that. Obama was thinking about the greater good. Jimmy Carter, greater good. You know, Clinton even, greater good. He had his peccadillos, obviously, <laughs> polite way to say it. But Clinton was brilliant in terms of policy and obviously made some mistakes. We're not here to, to dialogue that. But or even a George Bush. Even a George Bush Jr. or whatever his name was, you know, the last one, you know, he's George the second, right? He, whatever they call him, W. He was a likable guy, <laughs> right? Horrible president, idiot. You know, Dick Cheney had his ear, but he wasn't like a bad man. Do you see that what I'm talking about? Like Trump is a bad man. You're like that dude isn't right. Dogs would bark at him, Jimmy. You right. know, when they would have the Secret Service dogs do a sweep, right. dogs would bark at him. 
Well, and the thing that I look back on, because it kind of the political divide sort of started to when Obama was doing his reelection. But when you look back, like had Mitt Romney won, we would have been fine. He's a decent guy. Sure, he's not the best option. Certainly, uh, Obama's much better in comparison to policy. But like, we wouldn't have lost democracy with Mitt. (laughs) Yeah, like John McCain or John McCain. Yeah, I mean, it went so far to the right that every other politician isn't even recognizable by just trying to recede to the middle, which is what most politicians do, because they're trying to bring some sort of unity to the country. But you brought up uh, how much Trump talks about size. You know, one of the things that he was touting last night was how big his uh, rally crowd was. You know, I look at all the people, you know, it's like you're still going back to day one of your administration where you were saying that you had the biggest inauguration crowd when the picture demonstrated that wasn't the case. You know, from day one, he was lying to us. Yeah, I saw a picture on Instagram that some chick like uh, some young woman, I shouldn't say chick, I apologize. Um, Some, you know, some young woman was standing behind him at his desk at Mar-a-Lago, some hot Florida Kim Kardashian looking blonde chick or whatever. And uh, you know the type and uh, (laughs) the the TikTok type, TikTok type. And uh, they airbrushed his hands. They made his hands look bigger. So his hands are folded in front of him at a desk and they're clearly blown up, which is what he did at SNL. I've posted that pic before (laughs) on Twitter, but like in the SNL hallways, they have pictures of all the previous hosts that line the hallways. And in Trump's picture, it's he's holding a hand, a can of hairspray and spraying his hand, his hair, and they blew up his hand to make it bigger. It's one of the things that he does. You know, can you imagine being 75 and you're still so insecure But that's my point about the addictions, Jimmy. Those insecurities, people will do anything to fill that hole inside of them and to sort of right the spiritual wrongs that exist in them. And and Trump is a broken man. He was a bad seed as a kid. And his family just hit it, you know, because his dad was a bad dude and greedy and just wanted to hold on to his wealth and was like, well, this idiot you know, he's got my last name and, you know, the older one's a drunk. So like, he's all I got is little cokey McDonald McRapey dude, you know? So he kept bailing him out of trouble. Kid couldn't read and they hit it instead of saying, Hey, he's dyslexic. Maybe we should get him some help. They pretended like it was some bad thing, you know, and I'm not dissing dyslexic. Trump is dyslexic. That's why he says industry and Minneapolis and all this stuff, because they have to write it out phonetically because he can't read, you know, mm-hmm. which is no shame. It's just, He's exactly what happens if you hide the truth. That's why everything in his life is about hiding documents, hiding school records, hiding medical records. And the irony of that is that he does everything out in the open. All the crimes are right there. I'm going to do this. Come to January 6th. It's going to be wild. You know, like go attack the Capitol. March up there right now. I'm right behind you. You know, everything is like right there out in the open. And everyone sits around like, Hope we get enough proof to make this case against him. It's like, what? He called up the Secretary of State of Georgia and said, hey, buddy, do me a solid. I need 11,000 more votes, you know? And he knew, like, I need 11,384 votes, right? To the person. So anyone who's saying the guy's, like, got dementia is full of crap. He doesn't. He knows exactly where he's at and what he needs in any given moment. He's a dumbass, and he's drug-addled, and he's... (laughs) You know, his brain has been fed nothing but salt, sugar, and fat for 60 years. And that's kind of not going to make you healthy and speed. But like, he knows what he's doing is my point. 
You know, you could nail him twice, two times till Sunday if you wanted to. And what you have to really question is why don't they want to? Why mm-hmm. is there such a respect? Yeah, he's a former president, but he stole the presidency and everybody knew it. You know, I wish Hillary had just been like, fuck that. This guy didn't win. You know, I want a recount. You know, Al Gore made the same mistake. Al Gore didn't lose that thing legitimately, but Al Gore cared about the good of the country. So did Hillary Clinton. So they sort of conceded because they didn't want to create chaos. And Trump legitimately lost the last election and still hasn't conceded a year later. And he's holding rallies, which people are showing up to armed and weaponized and militarized. And he's telling them lies, you know, that their commander in chief is not legitimate and they, they need to take this country back. And it's not going to end well when you got 74 million people who believe this crap. You know, a blue wave emoji on your Twitter TL is not going to save you when you start rounding people up. Because they're going to get the people out there in the heartland to do the enforcement, Jimmy. You know, your guy down the street with all the Trump signs on his fence and stuff. <laughs> is going to go talk to you, Mr. Libtard podcaster, and say you better shut down the JBK on air show with with, with your coloreds on there and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Racism is going to become the law, you know, and and we've never been honest about how racist this country is. You know, it's a racist place. When I went to Indiana after Obama got elected, you know, after I worked on the inauguration, one of the first gigs I did was in Indiana. It was on a concert tour. Jackson Brown. And uh, I remember standing backstage and one of the security guards must have thought I was his compatriot because I was a white guy, you know, and he started talking about Obama and using the N word like out in the open. You could see that he did that all the time. And most people just nodded their heads and agreed with him, which, of course, I did not do, you know, and I had the guy removed from where his post. But like, that's where we're at. And we've sort of been in denial about it for too long. As I say, a lot of times, you know, people live comfortable lives and they don't want to rock the boat. Right. And that's still where we're at. You know, that's where that's where corporate media is at. Like I said before, that's why Jeff Zucker and these guys aren't releasing tapes. Why do they want to blow up their world? And it doesn't matter anyway, because Trump's already gotten away with it. You need to you need to change the system. You need to change the hearts and minds of men. That's what Dr. King talked about. He appealed to our greater angels. He appealed to what this world could be when children would would laugh with each other on the playground and not judge each other based on the color of their skin, but the content of their character. That's the highest calling a man can do. Judge your brother's soul to soul. See, see what good is in a man's heart that you can change you know, for the better, that you can make this place better, that you can stick out your hand. And then you can learn from our differences is the other thing. You know, we got so homogenized. You know, the best part of America is the differences. The best part of like when I go to a town, I'm like, where is the Thai restaurant? You know, like give me I don't want a cheeseburger. You know what I'm saying? I don't want Chick-fil-A, you know, no mm-hmm. offense. But like you go to Indiana, you're like, well, I'm eating a hamburger. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> like, can't wait to get yeah. back to New York and have some dosas and stuff. You know, culture makes us rich. And that's not to say like white culture is bad. That's a defensiveness, you know, is that like everyone thinks celebrating somebody else is denigrating yourself. It's not. People are always going to eat hot dogs and and fried chicken and whatever, you know, you'd think of as American food. It's basically <laughs> junk food, right? That, that was our contribution to the world was fast yeah. food, you know, which isn't good for you because it became about money, 
right? McDonald's doesn't care about the health of its customers. It cares about making money. So it feeds them poison and then promotes that poison, right? To inner cities, to minorities and stuff. And makes it the cheapest option for right. people to buy. Right. Uh, I mean, it's, you have to understand where I live. It's a very conservative area, but it's also rich and well-educated. So, you know, trying to explain this stuff to people that are pretty set in their ways, you know, it's pretty baked in where I'm at. You know, I grew up here. Everything in the Build Back Better plan that President Biden wants to give to America, I got here, you know, where I live in my little suburb. And, uh, you know, what you've told me, Nolan, it's lonely here because the people that I thought wanted me to succeed probably didn't. You know, I didn't fit the, the mold of this community but I was educated very well. And I'm using that education to go against the system. <laughs> you know, so I feel like I'm an enemy to a lot of my friends and people that I knew and grew up with. So it's like I said, it's lonely knowing what I well, know. Yeah, at least you know it now. You know, yeah. like half the people I went to high school are Trump supporters, yeah. you know, and I'm 50, you know, and I, <laughs> I knew, you know, it was one thing when they supported Reagan and stuff, but like supporting Trump, you know. Yeah. But, you know, it's done with that cultural thing. They feel like they're the good guys, Jimmy. They got the Blue Lives Matter bumper sticker and they just want all lives to matter. They don't understand, <laughs> you know, why the blacks are so uppity and burning down, a, you know. Don't tread on me, bro. It's all right. good. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's bullshit. But they're, a lot of these, they think they're doing the right thing. You know, that's what you have to understand, Jimmy. And it's not, I'm not saying that to apologize for them. I'm saying it to warn people. You know, when people think they're doing the right thing, they'll do a lot of really evil things. That's what we yeah. learned in Germany. That's what that's why I'm watching these old war movies. I want you to see it. This wasn't long ago, right? You know, you watch 1917 and then 20 years later, you're in World War II. You're watching Dunkirk, the same country, Germany, right? Different leader. You know, Hitler came to power the second time, but it's the same attitude, the same like we're going to conquer everything around us we're the master race you know it's us against them and when people feel that way when they feel slighted and aggrieved they're willing to do all kinds of horrible things and history has shown us that time and time again it's the egoic mind jimmy it's why i'm telling you always to read eckhart tolle i know you probably haven't yet not, not at this point brother it's on you my gotta list. read it you gotta read it dude yeah. Read the power uh, of now, read a new earth. You know, you'll get, you'll get some, I'm, I'm not saying that to condescend you. I'm telling you to find some no. relief. You know, if you want to find how this works, like your friends that are like against you, it's the pain body. You know, your pain body is like all your accumulated anger and grief and resentment becomes this idea of who Jimmy thinks he is. Jimmy thinks he's an influencer and a podcaster and a liberal and a, you know, music fan and all this. That's your personality right? That's the idea of Jimmy that you have in your head. That's not who you really are. The second right. you die, that's gone, Jimmy. It's your soul that lives on. Your soul is that deeper place beyond yourself. When you get quiet, when you're not thinking about how people are out to get you or don't like you, or you're lonely, or you can't leave your house, there's something deeper that you're always in contact with yeah. that, get, that, that, that will let you know you already have everything you need. Right. And your role is to get out of your own way and help somebody else. That's what the power of now is about. That's what a new earth is about. And if you look at the last century, all these wars and stuff, they were fought on egoic 
pain bodies, right? Hitler was appealing to people's pain bodies. We're the master race. These other people are keeping you down. We got to take it over. And then we're going to live in this utopia. That's all like ignorant human thought. That's the personality. The human personality can be a very dangerous thing. And people mistake their personalities for their true selves. It's not. The personality is the dash between when it says, you know, born in 1903, died in 1973, right? And there's a dash in the middle when you look at a gravestone, right? The dash is that guy's personality. It's all those things that happened in your life that you thought defined who you were. I was a banker. I had three kids. I lived in a house. I lost my mortgage. You know, all these circumstances of your life, we mistake that for, for life itself. And that's not what life is. Life is bountiful and it occurs in the present moment. It doesn't happen yesterday and it doesn't happen tomorrow. It happens right now. And when you get in touch with the now, you get in touch with a deeper wisdom when you get out of your own way. And then you look outside and you see the birds are all working in concert with each other, you know, and the bugs have feelings and compassion, right? And the animals are just looking to stay warm or eat some grass or not get hit by a car. And you realize all this magical stuff is happening right now. And nature has been living in harmony with each other for millions of years. But now people, and especially people post-industrial revolution, think everything is just about whether I drive an electric car or a gas-guzzling car and what kind of pickup truck you know, a sticker I have on it and what kind of guy I voted for and all this and how I identify as a Republican or I identify as a liberal or I identify as a man or a woman, right? That does not define you. People should live their truths. Identify as whoever you want if it doesn't harm somebody else. But if your identity is based on taking something away from somebody else or a sense of superiority over somebody else, then you're all wrong. And that's what Dr. King was a spiritual teacher. He was a preacher. He knew what he talked about. He, he walked the walk because he knew he was, there was a higher truth. He preached nonviolence in the face of unspeakable violence, right? He was marching against men who attacked children with dogs and fire hoses and bully clubs. And he stood there with grace and dignity and walked right into it like a man, carrying himself with honor and respect because he knew they couldn't take that away from him. And that's what I'm saying to you, Jimmy. Nobody can take anything away from you. Don't let your brain trick you into thinking that. You're bigger than you think you are. We all are, but we have to tap into that higher sense of self, you know, and that's what Dr. King was appealing. That's why you feel something when you hear the, the I have a dream speech. You recognize truth when you hear that. If you're a sentient human being, it makes your heart sing because you're like, yes, that's the world I want to live in. You know, that's why I tell my story about Obama in my stand-up show. People who are listening have seen it. You know, I talk about standing on the Lincoln Memorial with President-elect Obama behind me and his beautiful family, and they're sitting up there, and U2 is playing, and there's two million people out on the mall, you know, and it's 10 degrees out, and those people were all there to see this nation make good on a promise, that we knew we were good enough to reach this moment, and here we were in this moment, and I turn in that moment, I see David Axelrod next to me and Sharon Stone, right? So I got, I got a choice here, basic instinct, you know, or higher self, you know? And I turn to David Axelrod and I'm like, hey, I want to thank you for your part in all this. And he puts his arm around me and he goes, turn around. And he turns me around and we're facing the crowd. And there's 2 million people as far as the eye can see going all the way back to the Capitol. 
And he goes, I didn't do it. They did it. And he pointed at those people. That's who sparks change. People with love in their hearts, Jimmy. Positive people. And there's more of us than there are of them. But that's what that story is about when I leave. And two weeks later, I'm in cold ass Indiana. You know, <laughs> and some guy who's working as a security guard, you know, behind the scenes making eight bucks an hour is resentful because his dad probably made 60 bucks an hour at a tool and die factory in the same town, you know, that closed up and moved to China 30 years ago. And he thinks that happened because of Clinton and liberals and Mexicans coming and taking his job. He doesn't get that Reagan is the one who put that in motion. And all these fat cats on Wall Street found out it was a lot cheaper to make shit overseas than it was to pay some guy a living wage in the United States. And we're at it again now. It's the same thing. People are worshiping billionaires. Elon Musk is not your buddy. I promise you, it will not end well. He just tried to get a lawyer fired the other day. You know, the guy is like a Bond villain if ever there was one. My prediction on that dude is he flees the country at some point. Like he gets in so much trouble, <laughs> he has to leave. Like I don't, I don't see him like playing out his days here. You know, and but, we talk about Jeff Bezos all the time. It's like, God, you know? <laughs> Anytime that you're plotting, you know, you're building a sput dick to get out of Earth into another realm. I think you're, you're starting to see the plan that they're putting together. Um, exactly. But uh, what you were talking about with MLK, it, uh, I thought of John Lewis. You know, he was a guy that took the billy club <laughs> to the body, you know, uh, trying to fight for people. And marched with Dr. King and, you know, the best way that Republicans can honor that guy who spilled blood to try to get voting rights is to just reject it entirely. You know, you have the Democratic Party and the anti-Democratic Party, basically, in the U.S. right now. And we owe people like John Lewis, who dedicated his life to civil rights, to pass voting rights. And that's if you're Biden, that's priority. I don't care if you do anything else. Get some kind of federal protection. Uh, but with those placeholders for fascism, what what can we do? You know, it's it's so frustrating wanting justice and it just being so slow. Yeah, you know? yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. You know, and I don't know how it all plays out. You know, right. it probably doesn't go the way we want it to. You know, but right. it doesn't mean we stop fighting. It does yeah. mean we have to address this sort of toxic optimism you know, mm -hmm. that I go after every week on this show. They're <laughs> like, hey, come on. They're just taking their time. They're just dotting eyes. Woo, Garland's really a stud. You'll see. He's like Robert <laughs> Mueller with even on Viagra. You know, he's going to come set it all right. Like, no, I'm not buying it. Because the people that need the justice are already clamoring for it. And you've spent a year not giving it to them. And Trump's doing rallies. And Biden's on the ropes. And your network TV, all they talk about is the horse race, how Biden's approval numbers are down and how this looks bad for Biden and Biden and Biden. I guarantee you that's what that little Caesar haircut Miami dude is doing <laughs> on Meet the Press this morning. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You have awful people that want to make money off of this. So they're going to make it as hard as possible for like a Democrat and they'll make it as easy as possible for Trump to come in because those ratings will be insane. Yeah, they'll be outraged and they'll be crying on MSNBC the night he gets elected, but they'll be ringing the cash register in the producer's office behind the scenes because they know it'll be huge and trump knows that that's why he always says i get the biggest ratings i get the biggest crowds you know he knows how it works as much as a dumbass as he is he knows how media works 
He always has. He knows how to exploit it. And he knows that the guys that make money off it will protect him because they care more about making money than they do about spilling the truth. That's why most people still don't know shit about Donald Trump and who he was. Because the MSM was like, I'm not going to write about that. Let's write about Hillary's emails. We don't need to write about the fact that he attacked a 13-year-old girl, even though he did. And now Prince Andrew is going to get in trouble for it. And by the way, here's an example of that. When Trump made his first trip to London when he was president and he was all pissed because he thought they were going to give him like a a drive through London and a parade (laughs) and a ticker tape parade and all this. And the queen was like, no, you're pulling up to the back door. (laughs) Like, we're not (laughs) feeling you. And he, and he said on camera, because the, the Andrew, Prince Andrew scandal, what was happening, you know, it did come to light that Andrew uh, had slept with Vin, Virginia Guthrie, one of the accusers and, and, and victims and, and advocates and heroes and the, one of the people that just got Ghislaine Maxwell convicted. She, you know, she said, Andrew was like my main guy, like they made me go with him the most. She was 17, right? And this was a girl who went to a school on the Upper East Side that, you know, she was courted by Ghislaine Maxwell. And I know other girls that have fell into that same situation that ended up in Epstein's house. And they were abused by these men in horrific ways. And so Trump said, no, I don't know Prince Andrew, never met him. He had a private breakfast with Prince Andrew (laughs) on that London trip and the press didn't call him out. It wasn't on the official schedule, but he went and did it. That's a fact, right? Nobody ran with that story. Right. Mainstream media wasn't like, why did Trump have a you know breakfast with Prince Andrew, a guy he claims he doesn't know? You know, why does a banker, you know, from Queens or a real estate guy, however you want to define Trump, I say banker because he was a money launderer. But um, why did he have that breakfast with with Prince Prince Andrew? Right. You could have written about that. This is 2017 or whatever. When that trip was, I believe it was 17. They didn't go for that. You know, they're not going for the tough stories. You go for the easy stories. You know, it's hard to put together a TV show. It's hard to please people. So when somebody's like, hey, we can do a thing on how Biden's poll numbers are down, or we can do a deep dive on why does Ivanka sit on Trump's lap in all these pictures when she was a little girl? Nah, we don't want to do that. Don't do that. That's unseemly. Do the Biden shit. So that's how it works. That's how it works. It would topple governments, basically, undoing. Of course it was. And that's the whole point. And I believe that's what Mueller found out. You know, I think Mueller was like, dude, I can't even touch half of this stuff. You know, and they also kneecapped Mueller. Trump himself was like, you can't go after my family or the financial stuff or I'll shut down the investigation. Right. So he he accepted these parameters that they gave him and then Barr shut it down anyway. And then obfuscated about the details of the report. And then, you know, the best thing about that report was that Mueller was like, okay, well, here's 10 charges of obstruction of justice you can go after him for when he leaves office. And Garland hasn't done a goddamn thing about it. And people are still asking us to be his cheerleader a year later. Well, it takes time. He's got the best lawyers in the world. So you have to make sure it's an airtight case. No, he doesn't. His lawyers are alcoholic old mayors with hair dry dripping off of their face. You know what I mean? And Alan Dershowitz, who's in the gig, who was getting handies from the same victims. You know, Alan Dershowitz is a scumbag scumbag. So but my point is Dershowitz has some wealthy clients. You know, Jeff Zucker's got a lot of money tied up in New York City. Nobody wants to take all this stuff down. It's easier to let the status quo continue. And now the status quo has been married with something we've never seen before. So smart people are nervous. but. Now's the time. You better do something. Because as I always say, if you get 15 
Marjorie Taylor Greene in the midterms, the chaos that ensues, you won't get anything done. I mean, day one, they're going to be like, we're impeaching Biden. It's all you're going to hear. You know, you want Jim Jordan at the head of the like Judiciary Committee or something. Oh, my God. But that's what will happen. That's what's going to happen. And you're not just going to vote them out when they're cheating, when they've elected their own secretary of states in all these cases. Guys are running now on the fact that they would have made Trump president or they'll reinstate Trump as president if they get elected, you know, as governor of their state. Like it's the cat is out of the bag now. And I don't think you get to put that cat back in the bag unless you have a very public dissection of what happened, how it happened, who coordinated all this stuff. And you don't let anybody bullshit you. You don't let a Kevin McCarthy run away from a subpoena. Kevin McCarthy was like a point man for this stuff in Congress. Mark Meadows was certainly the guy coordinating it all from the White House. Right. So we know what happened. We just have to like drag these guys by the scruff of their neck, you know, in front of the dais and make them say what they need to say or throw them in freaking jail. Any Mm -hmm. other country would do it. We'll fight wars and kill a million people without blinking an eye in another country. Right. Mm -hmm. Under the guise of protecting democracy. There's 20 million people facing starvation in Afghanistan right now. It's winter. And 20 million people are about to starve to death. You don't even see it in the headlines in this country. And we attacked that nation six weeks after 9-11 because we were doing it in our interest. And then we bombed the shit out of it for 20 years, you know, and let people go over there and shoot people that had nothing to do (laughs) with 9-11, essentially, except for giving safe haven to the Taliban. And who's back in charge? The Taliban, 20 years later. Who, Who made anything off of it? military industrial complex did oil companies did you know how much oil they use in a war jimmy Mm. like it was profitable and then it was like not so profitable so we pulled away and we left it worse off and millions of people in agony that's what we do that's how we roll and we can't kid ourselves on that you know so we've done a lot of more janky stuff in the history of of saving democracy i'm not saying you got to throw out the rule of law but you got to start playing tough against these guys because when they take over, you get Trump and president as president again, like it's all over. Well, I think the thing that kills me is like they know that what they're doing, especially with, you know, non-renewable energy being the main way that we get our power, like they're killing themselves along with everybody else. Like it's such a short term thing with with the with the climate change stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like you- I, they're not thinking in the long term. America never has. They're not going to think in the long. You've gotten guys who won't wear a mask because they think right. it's freedom. You're going to try to get them to save energy and understand yeah. climate change when it's cold out. They're going to be like, it's cold out. I don't get it. It's 15 degrees out. What climate change? Feels pretty cold to me. Like they're not. That's the scariest thing we face. That I trot out every once in a while on Twitter is that the same people that won't get vaccinated, you're going to have to ask to make real sacrifices soon if you want to battle climate change. You're going to have to ask these same idiots to drive a Prius instead of the Ford F-150 Raptor monster. I got a big dick. I'm a patriot. <laughs> Trump edition version of this car, right? They're not going to do that because their whole images is is tied up in this crap and the companies know it fox news knows it they know what they're selling ford knows what they're selling ford was a huge anti-semite he was completely (laughs) pro-hitler you know like you know not that there aren't good people have driven fords and worked for ford but like come on 
there's people making money off of that ignorance and they're not going to give it up. And it's, they've never had a bigger, you know, like political thought is a can of Mountain Dew right now, right? You can identify with everything. You can put on this modern country music, which is pure propaganda, right? I'm a country boy. I just kick rocks and bricks and nice girl with the Daisy Dukes and the titties on a Saturday night, (laughs) right? You live in Brentwood with a pop singer. Right. I saw a guy was the host on the voice with his country song. And I'm like, dude, you live in L.A. You know, you've never been to a ranch. Come on. You know, it's pablum, but they sell it to people. They sell them propaganda and these ideas about who they are. And it's a lot easier to stop at 7-Eleven and get a big gulp and a hot dog and keep going down the road and feel good about yourself. than look at the big picture of why you're eating a hot dog and a Mountain Dew you know, and driving to work a shift at Walmart and stuff and a land that's been decimated, you know, while there's a big company spilling chemicals out, your kid can't concentrate and coughs all the time, you know, and the guys who own that company are sitting in big houses in the Hamptons. They're sitting on their yachts in Nantucket, you know, they're pulling these strings and they're, they're, they're grinding up people to do it, to make money. And the people are willingly going along with it now. That's the, that's the evil of MAGA and Trump is that these freaking people don't even see where they're at. You know, in the Civil War, they got poor ass white folks in the South to defend slavery. Most of those guys weren't the slave owners, right? The plantation owners were, you know, the generals that were leading those wars went to West Point. That was your equivalency of being super elitist at the time. But they were getting Johnny Cornbread to march, you know, across <laughs> Virginia and shoot his cousin, you know, to protect somebody else's way of life. That's how it works. That's the original sin in this country is get like wealthy people manipulating poor people to hate other poor people or minorities and not look at who's really keeping them down. And now that stuff is institutionalized to the point where you have a Joe Rogan who's got 200 million viewers or 400 million viewers and he's spouting off about anti-vax material stuff. You know, you got a tennis player who's like giving up a dream, you know, who's like, (laughs) like, what are you nuts? You get of all the professional sports, Jimmy, I worked on the U S open for like 12 years. I did the opening and closing ceremonies of the U S open, right? It was one of my favorite gigs. It was as classy a gig as you could ever do. So if you saw like, Aretha Franklin singing the anthem at the beginning of the the tournament. That was me. I did that kind of stuff for a production company that hired me, but I dealt with the talent on that. It was the best gig of the year. You know, last two weeks of August every year, you know, you go out to Queens, you know, I'd hop on a subway, you go out there, I'd eat lobster rolls, sitting in the, you know, the VIP box. It was a sweet gig. My point being like, if you want to be a professional athlete, if you make it to the top tier of tennis players, there's no sweeter gig in the world, right? You got cool clothes. All the women are beautiful. You're sponsored by Rolex, (laughs) right? You're not hanging out with a bunch of dudes tackling each other on a field, getting on a bus afterwards, right? You got an SUV that picks just you up and your coach at the hotel (laughs) and brings you to the tournament. I'm just talking about standard of living. That's the best sport to be in. Maybe golf is the other thing that would rival that, you know, but um. My point is that's a sweet gig. You're going to jeopardize that because you don't want to get a vaccine. Like it's just, it's insanity, but you can see how this insanity spreads like wildfire and having somebody like Joe Rogan pumping that into the population and seeing the beard Uh bros that defend him 
right? Every week thinking they're now critical thinkers, right? Because that's how they defend him. Like, you just don't like to think for yourself, bro. Right? Shut up. Shut up. But, you know, and, and I've seen the overtures of Don Jr. He's been tweeting about Joe Rogan this week. God help us all if those two hook up, you know, because I think Rogan is still a bit of a, you know, a Democrat. I think he's a, you know, libertarian kind of dumbass, but he's not a complete like MAGA guy. You know, I think he, he, he praised Michelle Obama like he's from the comedy store in L.A. He's not completely foreign to the left wing thing, but he's obviously susceptible to that kind of stuff and misinformation. And he's obviously incredibly irresponsible about the shit he puts out there. And it'll be real dangerous if he just decides to harness that audience for evil, so to speak. Because, you know, if, if I don't know how much sway a guy like that will have in the next election, but it'll be huge. You know, mm. you know what I'm saying? Like if they can marry Joe Rogan's reach with anti-vax, anti-mask stuff, you know, and he says something like, well, if you don't want to get vaccinated, you better vote for Trump or something like it's all over because you'll get all those dumbasses. Well, you paying. have me included paying for a subscription to Spotify because I want commercial free music. Like a lot of people, whether they're aware of it or not, are funding programming like that. Right. You know, uh, and that's why it's a sweet deal. But you had over, what, 200 doctors uh, sign a letter to, right. to Spotify saying, Look, take this guy off the air because he's killing people. Exactly. What saying. exactly. And Spotify gave him $80 million. I've never belonged to Spotify, by the way. I don't know okay. how to stream music. I'm old school. You know, okay. like I still have CDs and all that. But if I was on there and I wanted to listen to Radiohead, I could just type in Radiohead and it would just play Radiohead. Like, yeah, I have Pandora. <laughs> Do you like Radiohead, Jimmy? Uh, not, not a big Radiohead What? Fan. What? What? No, ladies not, and gentlemen, not. we need a new co-host. <laughs> Radiohead is the bomb, dude. I'll check it out. I'll I, check it out. You yeah. Check out Creep. Listen to Creep. Start there, buddy. All right, man. Radiohead is genius, dude. <laughs> I uh no, I haven't haven't done a ton of Radiohead listening, but yeah, you better get into some Radiohead. We'll change that. Radiohead. We'll get hip to it real quick. <laughs> Radiohead, buddy. But anyway, uh. So we talked about the U.S. Open, you know, I brought that yeah. up, but, you know, Chrissy Everett is, is battling some cancer. I think she's going to be fine, but she's just an amazing, amazing person. And the best thing about the U.S. Open was seeing Billie Jean King every year. You know, yeah. Billie Jean would just walk around and she's like the highest figure, you know, the, just the greatest example of, of championship and the sport of tennis and just a great ambassador of tennis. And like she'd walk around the grounds and just say hi to everybody. So lovingly, you know, you just felt better when you walked past her. And I remember one night, it was probably Djokovic and somebody else. They were, it was the men's finals and they were playing like late into the night, like mm -hmm. at 1230, one o'clock or something. And I had a rare audition the next day in like Boston or somewhere. I had to go do something. And I sat outside of the skybox because you get sick of just sitting in there, you know, <laughs> when it's your gig. I'm actually not like a big tennis fan, to be honest, but um not that I don't like it. I just don't, you know, I don't know what's going on when you're working, you're, you're working. <laughs> yeah, but um, sure. so I went and sat down on the floor in the hallway outside of the skybox. And all of a sudden I looked to my right. Here comes Billie Jean and Chris Everett. And I start to get up out of respect. And Billie Jean's like, no, sit down, stay down. You've been working hard all night. Stay down, sweetie, you know, and then Chris Everett passed me, who's just beautiful. You know, she's just one of the most beautiful women ever. And she passes me. And then I look, and I see the big, like they have these big flags with pictures on them hanging in the hallway. This is at Arthur Ashe Stadium. And there's the picture of Chrissy Everett 
Like, so she just walks past me and there's her huge picture. And I was always like, man, if I had gotten a selfie in front of that, it would have been amazing. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so I wish her well. And, you know, it's funny over that years, I did that gig with Aretha, Rob Thomas. It was, it was such a weird mix of people we'd have come sing the anthem. You know, we get Broadway casts in there, Phil Collins. But, um, you know, everybody would come and sort of like listen. They'd listen to the opening, the little musical tribute that we did. We'd always have a color guard and do a 9-11 kind of thing or whatever. And then they'd just chill and watch tennis. And Trump, ironically, was one of the guys. He had a box there and he assaulted one of the people in his box, which is a perfect place to do that, you know, because you have this back area, you know what a skybox looks like. So where the bathroom is, there's never anybody there because everybody's looking towards the front, you know, so that was his little lair and he would have all the Miss Universe contestants come and join him in this box. And I remember I used to have to sit right next to it because all the kind of VIP boxes are right right there. And I remember always seeing him in there and like Don Jr., you know, just surrounded by like these models, you know, from their contest. And you just, you know, you didn't know exactly what was going down, but you got the sense it wasn't fun because the women never looked very happy <laughs> that had yeah. to be there. But um, so I was just thinking about that because we mentioned it. I wanted to mention Bob Saget, you know, a wonderful comedian that was universally loved. People mm -hmm. don't talk about, especially in comedy, like comedians aren't the nicest people in the world. I hate to break it to you, but like you meet them behind the scenes, you know, comedians are very like anybody else, you know, insecure and jealous. And there, there, there aren't many people that everybody will universally say was just a complete mensch. And they say that, you know, and they mean it in Bob Saget's case. And I got to meet him. I didn't have any great interactions with him personally, way obviously above, above my pay grade, but I worked on Don Rickles tributes um and and the american comedy awards and we did a don rickles tribute at the apollo theater and bob was a part of that and i did one at the friars club and uh bob was around it and don rickles was similar like completely sweet nice guy you know I, you might not know who don rickles is jimmy oh, but, i'm a big don rickles okay fan. so he was like an ethnic insult comic and stuff and yeah but just loving, you know, you can only get away with that if you're loving. Jeff Ross is maybe like a similar kind of thing now, you know, Ross yeah. roasts people, but you know, he means well, and you're just getting everybody to laugh at our commonality. That's one of the blessings of common, <laughs> you know, like, let's not take it so seriously and let's just laugh about this stuff and come together, you know, and Don was a master of that, but Don Rickles went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, which is where I went to drama school. And he was in the class right above my grandmother. My grandmother's class had like Grace Kelly in it and my grandma, wow. you know, and Don Rickles class had like Ann Bancroft and Jason Robards, you know, just okay. giants. That school had Kirk Douglas and Spencer Tracy, wow. a lot of, you know, it was the oldest acting school in America. And it had a lot of great people at the time. It was at Carnegie Hall. I went to it obviously a lot later, but Don Rickles went there, you know, after World War II, as many people did, they, they went and studied the arts after, you know, on the GI Bill. And when I was in drama school, Don Rickles was on like Larry King one night, and I'm sitting there with my roommate in Brooklyn, and we're watching it, you know, and I, we never knew this about him, but he was like, yeah, I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. They don't tell you that in the literature. They don't say like Don Rickles went to this stuff, <laughs> you know, because yeah. it was true. They would show us like, you know, Spencer Tracy and, you know, but uh, my point is he was an actor, you know, he was a trained actor. He was a great performer. He was a great singer in his act. And uh, 
just, you know, one of those guys that just made you feel better, you know, for being around him. And Bob Saget was that legacy. You know, Bob's last show was in Miami last Saturday night. And uh, he said he did a two hour set and he didn't even realize it. That's insane. You know, I do an hour and 15, like 70 minute set, which is a long set, like two hours is bonkers, you know, and to lose track of time when you're up there, it just says one thing, you know, it says that's the place you're supposed to be, you know, and the audience is supposed to be there. And when you lose a sense of time, because you're just so into what you're doing, that's what I was talking about earlier, Jimmy, about being in the moment, you know, and that's the gift. That's what you get from the arts. When we all come together and you're watching a great performance, you know, or a great football game. When you watch the Super Bowl and like the Giants and the Patriots are down, you know, to two minutes left and the dude's catching a ball against the side of his head, you're not thinking about what you're going to do Monday morning in the office, right? You're like, I want to see if he catches his ball. You know, it's the same way in comedy. I want to see if he lands this joke. I want to see what the punchline is. You know, I want to hear this song. You know, I want to be here with my fellow men and women and realize like how deeply we're all in this moment and realize how we're all in this together. You know, we all laugh and cry together. And, and this weekend is a good time to reflect on that. You know, I'll, I'll wrap it up now, but Dr. King, he left us an incredible legacy, you know, and his spirit and what he stood for lives on every day. And as dark as things are right now, you know, there's a lot of bright, shining lights. You know, we have a lot of people in a position of power we never would have had without Dr. King. And those people will lead us and we need to listen to those people. And, and that's it, you know, and we need to take care of each other and we need to keep moving towards the dream of what we can be as a nation because we'll get there. It doesn't happen overnight, but it only happens if you use sunlight as a disinfectant. If you really tell the truth and understand what we're really up against and you don't sugarcoat things, you don't sort of reject truths because they're uncomfortable or they offend your sense of optimism, or you don't have the right emoji for that, you know, on your, on your Twitter thing. Yeah. You, you sort of like, you know, you get everybody together and you turn on the lights and you look at the evidence, you know, and you, you figure out the best way to proceed and the best way to hold those accountable that did this stuff, you know, and it's not about revenge. It's not about crushing your opponents and all this like ridiculous verbiage that Trump used. You know, it's about lifting all boats right? That's what you want. You're only ever going to be as strong as your weakest link anyway. You can measure society by how well they take care of the most vulnerable amongst them. And you can carry that out to dogs and sentient beings and, you know, animals and plants and you name it, rivers, sand, it's all alive. It's all there for your benefit. You know, you just got to learn how to listen. So thanks for listening this week, folks. You can find me at noelcastler.com. You can find me on Twitter. I'm not going to be doing any live shows until this next surge abates because it's not safe for, you know, it just, what's mm. the point? You know what I mean? I know yeah. some people are, but for me, I'm not. So that's where you can find me. And thank you for listening. Jimmy, tell them where they can find you. You can find my stuff at jbkonair.com. You can also search my podcast, uh, JBK on air. Uh, I interviewed Laura Steele, who's been air personality in Cincinnati and Indianapolis for a long time. She knew my dad. And worked with uh, the Bob and Tom show a lot. Uh, it's a syndicated show throughout the country. And Bob Saget was a guest on that show a lot. So I grew up with him being on America's Funniest Videos, Full House, and personally with the uh, Bob and Tom show. So check out that latest interview coming next week. So yeah. Sounds good. You strike me as a Full House fan, Jimmy. 
<laughs> I, I would watch it when I would get home from school. It would always be on after school. So I, you know, yeah, I was hip to Full House. <laughs> nice. All right, dude. All right. So we're out of time, folks. Thank you for listening. Be safe. Have a great week. And we'll see you next week. Peace.